0: And you know you can watch this episode on YouTube. Search for Accounting Influencers Podcast. And remember to like and subscribe to learn even more from the best experts, thought leaders and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world class. Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more
1: productive, profitable, and powerful with better data and insights.
0: the Accounting Influencers Podcast with me Rob Brown, another episode with one of the world's top gurus on change. This is the show where we bring in personalities and, and thought leaders and practitioners and consultants and experts to tell you accounting and finance professionals and the fintech people that surround them, what is happening and what to make of what is happening. I'm thrilled to have back with me today for the second time, Hannah Monroe. Good day to you.
1: Hey Rob, it's so awesome to be back.
0: Anna, we've already recorded a show with you, and in that show, it's almost a, a change and transformation part one. We talked about why change is hard, the different kind of responses to change. Just summarize the kind of things we talked about on that recording, and we'll put a link to it in our show notes.
1: Yeah, so we talked about how change is inevitable, and uh, and what's also very interesting is that change is getting faster, the pace of change is accelerating we talked about, um, volatility. Um, we talked about uncertainty and, you know, how the whole VUCA piece is actually driving this need to, to shift. And um, the other thing we did say is that change is not bad, right? There's always a silver lining to be found and it actually gives us in finance a real opportunity to step up and elevate the work that we do.
0: Yeah. And this show goes out to accountants in industry and accountants in practice. You've got a podcast, uh, CFO 4.0 we'll put a link to that in the show notes you're interviewing finance and accounting people all the time about what they're going through we do know in this very fast-paced world that change is inevitable we, we totally get that and you're going to talk to us in this episode about how we can adapt a little bit better be a bit more agile and be not just a, a prisoner of change but even a driver and embracer of change. That's what we're all about today. So remind us what change and transformation actually are, Hannah.
1: So change and transformation is all about a shift from one state to another. And I'm always really keen to make sure that we reinforce the fact that transformation is a journey i think if you if you feel like it's something short-term that you're going to suffer through and then you're never going to have to change again um you're probably living in the wrong century so this is an incredible um incredible time to be involved in finance in particular but it is a journey there is a lot going on and it's going to continue to develop for some time
0: And with ITA solutions you're a change consultancy i guess uh, talk to us about the, the kind of work you do on a day-to-day basis and who you work with yeah
1: so we we tend to work with um fast-growing small and mid-sized businesses to help them reorientate their processes, their people and their technology. Um, We primarily work with stage software because that's our tool of choice but actually a lot of the things I talk about um, is is, is applicable to any technology Um, and it's all about changing and creating this automated finance team that gives rapid and accurate insights For a business so that, again, finance becomes that right hand man at the table and giving that advice and guidance to the rest of the organization.
0: We talked last time about some of the types of change, maybe the cultural change, the the work life balance, the personal change, the technology change. If there is a change project on the horizon, how can we be ready for it? that's a big part of success isn't it in transformation projects
1: yeah and what's really interesting and what I found you know slightly scary especially doing the work I do is how many transformation projects actually fail I think there were some scary statistics circulated by the you know one of the big consultancies around how 70% of transformations fail now and and, I know incredible statistic and And like all statistics, you need to put that data into context. And I think the important part of how they stated that fact was they said it failed to achieve its objectives. So my one question is that going into that project, did all of those 70% that failed, do they even know what their objectives were? So that's my first hint and tip is to make sure that before you start any kind of change and transformation projects, you know the reason for change. How are you going to measure success on the other side and why are you doing it in the first place?
0: That's a really good point. I'm thinking back to my time as a maths teacher, three times four isn't 10. So you know immediately when that process has gone wrong. There is a very defined objective and a very correct answer, and it's black and it's white. But with change, arriving at a position of success, often it's intangible. There are loads of different facets to it. So getting clarity on what success looks like, that becomes uh, a key factor in a change project. I'm fond of the question: If we were to look back in twelve months or three years or however long this project is, and this has been successful or it hasn't been successful, what will have been the main reasons? Do you work like that with your clients, looking back?
1: Yeah, so we we do internally. We all uh, we like to sit down and go, sort of, you know, do the 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 review stage, which is like yeah, what worked, what didn't, what would we do differently next time, right? So we always ask. Yeah, once it's happened,
0: you project that forward. Then you say, look, let's imagine we're all sat in this boardroom. In 12 months what would need to have happened for this to be successful that is a way of defining the objectives
1: perhaps absolutely so it's in one of our templates that we use the very first question when we go into a scope and a conversation with a customer is tell me how you are going to measure my success what is it that you need to have tangibly in your hands, or what is the the outcome and the KPI that you're going to measure me against in twelve months? Because that's 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 the that's the piece that I focus on all the way through. And if you've ever heard the phrase, um, "Does it make the does it make the boat go faster?" you have to you have to keep asking you all that question. And if at any point you go, "Is this still the right objective for whatever reason?" because you said twelve months, but twelve months is a long time in business right? So you need to constantly reassess, am I solving the problem? What is the problem I was planning on solving? How am I measuring success? And is that problem still valid? Is it still something that I need to think about? I'm thinking
0: of a change project that an accounting practice underwent just last year, where they brought a new CRM system into the firm. And in defining the objectives, their primary objective was that everyone in the firm would use the CRM System and we would get better sight on who's doing what with which clients and what product lines and services were offering to which clients. But they missed some very important elements of that. For instance, some firms buy technology because it suits the leaders that buy it and the price is right and they like the people selling it and the vendors do a really good sales job. Some buy technology because it fits a gap that they've got, but they don't think too much about everything else it's fitting with. Some buy technology for the client experience, so they do it with the clients in mind. Some do it with their staff in mind. Well, this has got the best chance of our staff adopting the technology. And so they didn't really get a handle on the best technology to buy and what would fulfill the right kind of objectives. And they just had this very vague sense of everyone will use it. That's flawed, isn't
1: it? It is, and it isn't, right? So I find it really interesting. So the objective is that they wanted one place where they could see everything that was going on with a customer, right? In order to make that successful, your team need to use it and buy into it. So if they aren't bought into it, it never achieved its objectives because things weren't being blocked. Right. So that's the so that's an interesting conundrum in itself, even when you're measuring objectives. But the second thing is that what often happens is people blame the technology for the for not achieving the outcomes. And actually, what I very often find is that people spend almost too much time choosing technology and not enough time planning how they're going to implement it. And I think that for me is, again, why lots lots of, um, you know, implementation projects fail is because they will have a 200-point checklist very often with the reasons for, for change. Or you'll see the other extreme. And as you said, Rob, it's someone at the top has gone, I like this piece of software. I want to use it. But actually, part of choosing a good software is also about choosing a good partner and an implementation methodology that works for you and the business that you're implementing into. And again, I I feel like very often people go in expecting a software to work exactly the way that they currently work. And you you don't choose it for that. Because if you want to work exactly the way you've always worked, then you've not changed and you've not transformed, you've just shifted into a digital landscape. And
0: you're a fan of change shouldn't be tech driven
1: absolutely so <laughs> i have a lot of conversations with people and they'll come in um and they'll say right we need this and i go why and they go because this and this and i said well even if i automated that process for you right it's still a bad process a process is a, a bad process is a bad process That's whether a piece of technology is doing that process or not so there are three well four actually key components to any successful change and transformation project in today's age right one is of Of course, technology. You have to have good technology. If you put, you know, any, think of this as the four legs of the stool, right? Any one of these go, you, you might, you'll feel a bit wobbly. Two of them go and you're in trouble, right? So first one is technology. Second one is process. You have to be willing to adapt your processes to technology, Um, there is a there is a historical tendency and I say I think this this is definitely changing now but historically you put a piece of software in and you changed it you developed it you did those um, you made you you got a team of developers to tweak a screen or what have you that is not sustainable in this day and age, because technology is changing so much, soon as you've developed something you are stuck with it and very often it holds back things like upgrades and thing and the ability to take advantage of new features so um, making a piece of technology work the way you work is it was particularly if you're going down the development route is really dangerous and actually the challenge is well why do we work differently to the hundreds of thousands of other users that are using this system you know what what is it about what we're doing that is so different that we cannot adapt to the technology and there was um trying to remember which council it was, but there was recently a, a news article about a local council they were implementing, I think it was Oracle um, and they come in did this project and the reason it failed is they went into it saying that they were going to change their processes and their way of working to, to adapt to best practice. and actually what they all all tried to do was adapt was make the software change their bad practice. So my, my, my second thing is process. So we talked about technology, we talked about process. The third thing is data. Every business has a huge amount of data. The volume of data that we as businesses and individuals are processing right now is huge. But just as important is not just the volume, but the robustness and accuracy of that data. And we know this is, you know, in accounting and in finance, but getting hold of where your data is stored, how you are going to share and integrate data across those different systems, which is where, as you said, Rob, that integration comes in is super important, but it's all about sharing data across systems, having one source of the truth. And if you update it in one system, it updates in another And last but not least is people. So people have, um, you know, people, I, I genuinely believe that people have an infinite capacity for change when everything around them is perfect. The reality is that we live in an imperfect world. We have um, kids at home, kids to do the school run with. We have, you know, wives and husbands who have to also work late or are sick. We have mums and dads that are not well. We have to look off So and then we have, you know, houses that need painting and, you know, patios that need late. So we live in a world where. Um, We have to do this massive juggling act, right? And I do feel like that has to be taken into account when you're thinking about an implementation project. You have to make sure you have the right individuals who are in the right place and they have the right amount of time to dedicate to this project. I'm so sorry, Rob. That was a very long, (laughs) long uh, segment there.
0: Well, all the accounting and finance types listening and watching were saying, okay, she said four, I'm going to write down four things here and she better say four things because I don't want any (laughs) open loops. I'm just thinking one of the things I do outside my podcasting work is I work with accounting firms to interview their people to tell their stories, Hannah, of why they're a great place to work. Because we know about the talent shortage in accounting and finance. And all accounting firm websites tend to look the same. They said the same, they make the same claims and the same promises and promise the same kind of career opportunities. So I interview their people to say, why do you like working there and what's good about it? Now, the question that comes up from time to time is what do we do with these videos and interviews that you're creating Rob and we know we, th- they should go on their website as proof they should go on their social maybe even on their internet for their onboarding and everything else but the problem with putting it on social is that their people don't share it so as a change project I often get asked how can we get our employees to be better advocates for working for our firm yes Rob you can create the videos and the, and the proof and the evidence and the interviews But what if we put a post on LinkedIn to say, this is Hannah, she works for us. She's been with us for five years. Here she is talking about our culture and it's tumbleweed and they don't share it. So the question becomes, as a change project, how do we get people into that attitude of wanting to share the great stories that we have in our firm? Just unpack that a bit with your consultancy hat on. I
1: think it comes back to the why. So you need to understand, you need to explain why you want them to post it and share it right? And you need to unpack the personal motivations for that individual. Why should they share it? right so you could talk to them about their personal brand um you know how important it is for their career prospects how you know and how important social networking is for their career development and then run a and then you need to make it so that they understand the process that they have the right technology to do that so then you need to run a workshop on you know how do you be active on social because if they share it and they've got two followers that's not going to have the same impact as if they were a massive um massive the advocate or well-known individual on that basis. So you not only want them just to share it once, you want them to be actively um, on that network and uh, sharing the content, not just this content, but the rest of the snippets that I'm assuming you're going to give them, Rob. So, and um, and just as importantly, you need to say how you're going to measure the success. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you could put some rewards around it. You know, top sharer, most follows, recognize the success, recognize achievement. And and that is how I would approach that particular change project. How
0: do we uh, look at a change project in terms of its life cycle? I'm thinking, when would somebody bring a Hanneman Ruin? would they you'd want them presumably to bring you in at the beginning before they buy anything before they decide anything but I'm sure you get brought in when things are not working or it's all failed and you've got to pick up the pieces
1: yeah and it's like anything if you've if you've ever done a house Renault, Rob, you will know when I say it's better to get it right the first time than having to unpick dodgy wiring for the 10 years afterwards, right? I've been I've been in that position and it's not fun. And it's the same with change and transformation. You very rarely get multiple opportunities to do something in business right if it fails the first time round, the the barrier to it's it, the barrier to success is a lot higher so the first thing I would say to anyone that's even thinking about a change and transformation project is make sure that you give this first go every effort for it to to be a success don't wait for it to fail and then get advice and guidance because then you're in a challenge That being said, is that actually if the way to to rescue those kind of projects is all about building momentum behind the change, especially when there is doubt, there is uncertainty and there is um, a negativity around a you know, a software and a product. The first thing I do is I show that I am able to help that business or that team move forwards. So small wins. I talk about the snowball effect a lot on my podcast, um, and it has a massive impact. So find one small thing that you can do as a you know as an individual. If you're going in and trying to help somebody else, find something that you can change within a fairly quick time frame that's going to have a, you know a small to medium level impact that is going to move the dial forwards. And once you Create that one. You have then built that trust um, that you know you've shown that you know what you you're doing, and then you can take it forward. So I've, I come in at lots of different stages. I love it when people bring me at the beginning because I get to start with a clean slate. I don't have to unpack and deal with the the challenges that somebody else has uh, created for me. But I also think that it's it's never too late but you you can't keep, if you keep doing the same thing you've always done in the same way you've always done it, it, you know, not only is it the definition of insanity, it's a recipe for for transformation failure.
0: And change must also be a factor, success and change must also be a factor of the people leading it. How do we support people in difficult times?
1: I think the first and most important thing is you understand people's personal motivations if you have a say you've got a mum with three kids right she works part time expecting her to stay late for three months and um, you know is is unrealistic so i think the biggest thing is to understand people's personal motivators and make sure they have the capacity for success how are you thinking about how you're freeing up time the same with um, sales if you think about the crm project you're talking about don't do it don't do the implementation in january when we're hitting all of the the schedules around tax filings and you know etc let's do it in the quieter season when it's not as horrendous and there's very rarely a good time but there's normally a very bad time to implement a particular piece so picking the right time and finding ways to create capacity is really important now I could be backfilling um, and i say backfilling i'm a big believer that you don't outsource implementation so you don't make get somebody that isn't in your business to make decisions about how your business should operate um, and actually the statistics back that up um, That's really, really important. So you must make sure that the people that do the job and are involved in the job day to day are involved in the project and don't don't just hand it over to a consultant. Um, The other piece I I would say is try not to do everything at once. Um, Historically, change projects and transformation projects were very, um, they had a real waterfall or big bang approach. They did everything at once. We have this one go live and it's you know, six months of uh, preparation and, you know, like three weeks of hell while you go like, and and that is a huge amount of change. Um, So the... the the best way in my personal opinion to approach these kind of projects wherever possible and there are instances where it's not is to do a more agile approach where you phase it you create momentum for change you create enthusiasm and buy-in for change um, and also you can flex you hit a barrier within the business you can put a pause on a particular phase and say right we're just going to delay by two months and then we're going to start again Um, you know somebody goes on maternity and you haven't managed to backfill their role you you have more options when you phase and do smaller more um, impactful change sprints than when you do everything at once
0: it was a very big change project undertaken by her majesty's revenue and customs or the irs as it would be in the united states called making tax digital you'd be very aware of this
1: <laughs> i am very aware of that one
0: <laughs> but it's a great example of a wonderful idea that was handled totally badly and and went very wrong didn't it so Tell us a little bit about that story as you understand it.
1: As you say, the why, I don't think anyone denied the why behind that change project.
0: The why was digitising tax returns, wasn't it, basically?
1: Yeah, and anyone that's filled in a piece of paper and had to send that off will understand the why behind it. But also, it's not just about the digitisation of the tax returns. It's about getting access to the information that sits underneath that tax return.
0: In In a more efficient, quicker way,
1: yes. So what they hadn't done is been clear around the objectives. What needs to be automated and, you know, technology driven by when and to whom? They tried to get everyone to move at one point in time, in my personal opinion, rather than doing phase delivery based on business size. Because I think some uh, medium sized businesses sometimes are easier to shift Um, than smaller businesses. Um, There was also lots of businesses who weren't on any kind of technology. And so all of a sudden, their change journey is a lot bigger than those are already using um, an ERP or a a software. So I I think they were clear on the why. They didn't understand people's personal motivations. They didn't understand their capacity for change. Um, They moved the goalposts way too often. They tried to do it all in a big bang approach. Um, versus smaller more chunky aspects Um, and they didn't make sure that the technology was ready the ambition that they had outstripped the available technology which meant that all of the change was crammed into the last few months before the deadline and that was a problem well the deadline was put back and put
0: back and seems to be abandoned altogether for the moment it's uh but then they say accountants rarely do, really change anything unless it's mandated by law and, and any regulatory change. So we did see a lot of scrambling by accountants to get themselves and their clients ready for a making tax digital approach. So we know that accounting finance types are very agile when they want to be and when they're driven by it to do it.
1: Yeah. But I also think imagine the work-life balance of all of those accountants. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the, what like you say what what the government didn't take into account is not just the you know the is the capacity the volume of individuals that had to change and businesses that had to change versus the available capacity that was in the accounting and finance arena at that time as well as the skill set right and we haven't talked a lot about that but the skill set for that the knowledge wasn't there so a more staggered release of that mtd piece across industries across um Size of business across regions, yeah, would have given way more flexibility and availability within that arena, and also would have meant that there was a series of super users, so individuals that have been through that change and then can advise and guide others. And and that's the bit they didn't drive.
0: You talked about how you're very passionate about change. You love change. You get change. I wonder if you're born that way, and that's the personality trait of Hannah Monroe. Because there will be, I'm wondering if change. And the ability to deal with change is a skill, Hannah, that can be coached, that can be taught because a talent is innate and you're born with it. But a skill, you can develop it and hone it. What do you think?
1: I think it's both a bit like leadership. So I think the same about leadership. So I think there are individuals that are natural leaders that understand communication, that that have a presence. But I also think that leadership is a skill that can be taught as well. And I think the same about change. Um, And if you knew me as a youngster and a teenager, I'm not sure you would ever think that I would be sitting here on a podcast talking about this. Um, But that for me says a lot. So um, I think your experiences shape you. So uh, like anything, I think how you grow up, how you're brought up your experiences so I spent a lot of time traveling so being in places that were unfamiliar and having new experiences wasn't was something I was comfortable with coming out so you know if I've got to stay in one place I'm like oh this is you know I need some excitement what is it I'm going to pick up a transformation project um so there is something I think about experiences shape you but it doesn't mean that you can't learn to be comfortable with change
0: you talked about how you wouldn't want to change your iPhone you get very attached to so do we compartmentalize change do we say at work or in that environment I'm great with change. but in these areas these are sacrosanct. these are sacred cows. these will not be moved and not be changed and I'm really uncomfortable there. Yeah,
1: so I have um, a per this is a very personal philosophy Rob. So I believe that in my life certain things have to be stable for me to be comfortable right? Um, So if my home life is good, my horses are happy, my dogs are well, my husband is uh, not working crazy hours, I have more capacity for change at work, and I can throw myself into it. If things happen at home, I have less capacity uh, for change, because other things in my life are taking that that like and I do be maybe there is a finite capacity to do those things and to live in that world of uncertainty because things at home are uncertain Um, maybe I'm just very lucky in that my home and my other parts of my life are fairly stable so I haven't had um, I can focus all of my change energy on work but it is It is true that I believe you have to be, as an individual, you have to have some things that are certain that you can believe in and you can trust and are stable. If those things are stable, actually you then have the time, energy and capacity to focus on the other bits.
0: Yeah, that's very good. I'm just thinking of the biblical story where Jesus told the parable about the two men that built a house and one built his house on sand and when the storms came and the turbulence of life it just blew away and fell down but another built his house on rock and when you've got those foundations in place and you are quote happy at home you can withstand anything that's thrown at you that would apply wouldn't
1: it oh absolutely and it's and it's and i think it's not just about like happy at home are you happy in your career and role are you happy with um are, are things in like you say your family are they are they good are Are you happy in yourself? Are you well? You know, those that are sick and not healthy, that again, they may struggle with change because they've got other things that are priority to them. So, yeah, I I love that that analogy around building your house and rock. If, If the foundations are stable, you have the ability to change.
0: What advice would you give in closing to the accounting and finance professionals listening who know that change is coming? They know that it's here. They want to lead better through change and they want to be better change agents, change makers, change facilitators, they want to deal with a changing world much more effectively. How would you issue a call to arms for them?
1: The first piece, uh, so I would say, think about what you're changing and why you're changing and make sure you're really clear on that before you go out into the world. I would also say, don't get get distracted by the shiny toy in the shop. Think, make sure that it is tied into these original aims and goals and perspectives. I also would say you cannot over communicate when it comes to change. Most, a lot of the change issues I see out there in the, in the world are because people haven't communicated and don't limit your communication just to those within your team think about your wider audience your customers your the wider business the leadership and be be a champion and a a pr person for change when you go into it And, and finally make sure that you're clear on where you're at in your change capability and your change capacity make sure before you commit to leading or getting involved in a change project that you have the capacity for that change. Um, and also you believe in its mission because it's a lot easier to, to make a change when you are genuinely passionate and believe in the outcomes that you're trying to drive.
0: Well, you are genuinely passionate. Hannah Monroe of uh, ITA Solutions, change specialist, transformation experts, and also the uh, CFO 4.0 podcast. It's been a thrill to have you on our show today. Thanks for joining us.
1: And Rob, you've been amazing. So thank you so much for making my, my time on the other side of the fence super easy.
0: You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.
1: Sponsored by Advanced Track, helping you as an accountant confidently choose between outsourcing and offshoring.